It's another day, and I'm glad you're here. Welcome back to Iowa's Newsworthy Past. The following episode includes items published in the Fort Dodge Messenger in Fort Dodge, Iowa on Thursday, August 30th, 1888. A survival of the fittest. Fort Dodge comes out of the game with Storm Lake yesterday away, up on top, a one-sided contest. Had the Fort Dodge boys been feeling hard-hearted Tuesday afternoon, they could have carried off the game from Storm Lake at any gate from a two-mile-an-hour walk to a 100 yards and 10-second sprint. Perhaps they didn't want to discourage the men from the lake too badly at the start of their tour. Perhaps they remembered their past record and thought they could be generous with so weak a foe. Perhaps they thought of the remote possibility of getting in over their heads themselves sometime and wished to do as they would be done by. Perhaps their new and natty gray uniforms had something to do with their feeling at peace with all mankind and Storm Lake in particular. At any rate, they contented themselves with walking off with the game and performed their operation very gracefully. The trouble with the Storm Lakers was that they could not play ball. There wasn't a man in the team that played his position with anything like the dash and confidence of his vis-a-vis on the other side. Their pitcher was ineffective, a shortstop was sleeping most of the time, and the infield great gawning gaps let the ball go through with monotonous regularity. The home club was the strongest played this season. Every man was placed where he could play ball. The weeding out of Slattery at second and the promotion of Lowry to that position is a notable improvement and the change should be made permanent. Lowry's work on number two was spirited. He accepted nearly every chance, making but one error, and that from overconfidence or carelessness after the game was well in hand. Lamar at third was even more effective than Lamar behind the bat. He fielded his position with neatness and dispatch and played good ball. His one error was an excusable one. He was rather unfortunate in his hitting, and the score fails to show up his good work. His daring dive for second in the first, while the ball was coming slowly to the pitcher, was a brilliant effort for glory and lacked only an inch or so of succeeding. Rankin's record in the box is good enough to keep. 11 strikeouts and 9 assists show up pretty well for our city's pride on the diamond. Blake at short did not get many chances for distinction, But his conscientious care of whatever came his way and his live work all around showed what he could have done if it was to be done. Behind the bat toward the close of the game, he was in fine fettle. He played both positions without an error of any kind and scored thrice. Sheriff was at home behind the bat and stopped the balls and threw to bases with facility. He also hit the ball to the extent of four singles. Hone proved a tower of strength both on first and on the batting list. At one time, one the weak hitters of the team, he yesterday carried off the palm with four base hits, two of them two baggers out of six times at bat. 
The field had little to do but did it well. The home club scored nine runs in the first four innings, finding the Storm Lake pitcher the plummiest kind of pudding, and then having won the game, hauled off and didn't put a man over the plate until the ninth. The visitors did their score, making in fourth and sixth in each case on airs. There is little doubt that had the sluggers played a closer game, they could have shut out the visitors completely. The features of the game were two difficult fly catches of by Mulroney and left after a long run and one back of second by Lowry after a sprint out into the field with his back to the plate. Rankin's brilliant steal from second to third while the pitcher held the ball and Blake's duplicate from first to second also rank as features. Summary. Base hits, Fort Dodge, 20, Storm Lake, 14. Two base hits, Hone, 2, Lowry, Mallory, Seidel. First base on balls by Merritt, 2. First base on airs, Fort Dodge, 6, Storm Lake, 2. Hit by pitched ball, Blake. Stolen bases, Fort Dodge, 16, Storm Lake, 2. Struck out by Rankin, 11. By Mallory, 1. Passed balls, Washington, 4. Sheriff, 2. Time, 2 hours. A pitiful picture. Graphic delineation of California's bursted boom of one of the victims. The following letter, by a man whose word none who knew him would for a moment doubt, was written to a friend in this city and is worthy of publication and careful perusal. Pasadena, California, August 14th. I am glad to hear that there is something going on there, for it sounds awful good to one who has been idle so many long months. There is nothing like a boom for some people, and nothing like it after the boom is bursted. They tell us that the coming fall will bring the biggest boom to this country that has ever been known, but in the true light of the matter, it is unreasonable and false to proclaim any such theory. It is well enough for the real estate sharks and those who are loaded down with high-priced town lots to have something to hope for, but from an honest standpoint, there is no more to encourage or produce a boom this fall than there was six months ago when everything was as dead as Rome. It is true there is a little more building going on now than at any time previous for several months, but this only benefits a certain class who seem to be favored, and at the same time the streets are thronged with men from day to day, from early to late, seeking employment at something and offering to work at wages that would astonish the people of the dead eastern states if they knew it. The most pitiable spectacle is to see a weak and frail wife and mother of a family of helpless children gathering up washings and ironings to sustain a living, while the husband, perhaps able and willing, is tramping the streets with a faint hope of securing a day's work, or an old, feeble, white-headed father with tottering steps, toiling in the heat, trying to earn bread and butter. Truly, this is not the place for a poor man. Almost every day brings the news of someone forfeiting his property after making one or more payments of from $500 to $5,000, and in some cases men have invested several thousand dollars in property and only made first payments, depending on last winter's suckers to take it off their hands at a handsome advance. 
But to their sorrow, the suckers did not bite. How I wish the people of Iowa who have comfortable homes could be convinced of the true state of affairs. If they could look over into this valley and witness the suffering from poverty and want, they would certainly be satisfied with well enough. If anyone contemplates coming to this place to escape lung trouble, they will miss it and badly too, and I can verify my statements if necessary. In conclusion, I will say that I hope no laboring man or mechanic will come to this country expecting to make a living by his work, and I hope everyone who contemplates making the great change will investigate thoroughly before sacrificing too much. Traps are constantly being laid for tender feet. It will be difficult to get people to believe the truth after hearing such glowing reports from this country, but innocent and ignorant people ought to be warned of the danger in due time. I am coming as soon as I can get loose here, but don't know how soon it will be. The strike at Lehigh settled. The Lehigh strike situation is thus told by the echo. There is little to say concerning the strike this week. The number of men going to work every day is constantly increasing and different mines in the valley are being filled up. Thursday, Mr. William Cruckshanks, representing a coal mine in Oglesby, Illinois, arrived in town looking after men for his mine. Up to the time of going to press, Thursday evening, 10 or 12 of the old miners have decided to return with Mr. Cruckshanks Friday. A few more are expected to follow Monday. The fact of the matter is that the strike is practically settled and doubtless all who remain will begin work next Monday. We presume that not a man in town would go to Illinois if all were sure that they could get work here, but there is a general feeling that the larger mines will not employ a number who have been engaged in the strike and consequently there is no alternative but to go. Dr. T.F. Grayson has joined the ranks of the city's afternoon drivers having purchased Joe Wildberger's handsome horse, which will add materially to the appearance of a fine turnout. E.M. Martindale of Lehigh has organized a number of music classes in this city. The most popular instrument at present is the guitar, of which instrument there are a score of students awakening its strings to living melody. Little George Treeman, a 12-year-old son of Mr. and Mrs. W.D. Treeman, was badly burned by the explosion of a large brass cartridge with which he was experimenting on Saturday evening while visiting friends at Humboldt. A small blaze at the butter tub factory late Saturday evening brought out the fire companies with their usual promptness and a large crowd of spectators. The fire was quickly extinguished without reaching the main building, and the loss will be only nominal. No insurance. The grading has all been completed to the new Soldier Creek Bridge, and this new highway is now one of the finest and best leading from the city. It also makes an elegant approach to the fairgrounds, something that has never heretofore been enjoyed, and excites much favorable comments. An ineffectual attempt was made by thieves to enter the residence of M.Q. Dooley in the eastern part of the city Tuesday night. The would-be housebreakers cut their way through the screen door and also mutilated the window screens, but were doubtless frightened away at this juncture as they failed to secure an entrance. Mr. Hiram Wheeler, one of Sac County's most progressive stock dealers, 
has just imported 35 thoroughbred Percheron and Shire stallions direct from the best breeding establishment of France and England. Mr. Wheeler has found that Iowa farmers have just as much use for the best in the stock line as their eastern brethren and makes his investments accordingly. Western Iowa stock raisers will find it to their interest to call at Mr. Wheeler's establishment in Odebolt if in want of any fine bred stock. The popular Pleasure Seekers Club, that was such a prolific source of enjoyment to its members last winter, has been revived for the coming season of social activity. The regular hops of this club were among the most pleasant social events of the season, and its revival will be hailed with delight by the devotees of Terp Shore, who anticipate a gay campaign of pleasure the coming season. Mac Holbert and Gene Watkins have been favored with the posts of honor as leaders of the club.